I'm Nancy Showalter, and you're listening to Spirituality for the Politically Incorrect podcast. Welcome, all radical paradigm shifters and creative change makers. You who dare to create a better life and a better world, tap into the power that resides within you and use that power for constructive change. Hello and welcome to today's episode, The Hidden Key to Ending Destructive Habits and Addictions, and our special guest, Dr. Bill Bergman. Looking forward to this one because Bill and I met at the New Media Summit last month in San Diego, and I was so inspired when he talked about combining brain science, psychology, and the spiritual. So Bill Bergman, MD, is a magna cum laude, Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Amherst College and a graduate of Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. He's a member of the International Fellows Program at the Columbian University School of International Public Affairs, and he's been involved in practicing holistic medicine and stress management for close to 50 years. So we're looking forward to tapping into hearing about that. After decades of family practice in New York City, he moved to Colorado, where he did extensive community health education, consulting for individuals and wellness centers, and served as the founder director of the nonprofit Rocky Mountain Resource Network. In 2015, he and his wife, Nina, moved to Naples, Florida, where he is now offering private stress management consultations. He volunteers as a health educator for St. Matthew's House and serves as a clinician for Signify Health. Welcome, Bill Bergman. We're so happy to have you here today. Well, thank you, Nancy. It's really, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to share this information with you and your audience and uh, just be of help to people. Well, we're very, very grateful for you to be here. And one thing we will touch on as we go through the program is that no willpower approach that you talk about. I'm anxious to hear all about that. But let's begin, Bill, by just giving us a brief background about yourself and how and when did you come to specialize in the holistic and integrative approach to medical practice? Yeah, well, actually, I got interested in... uh... Um, actually a nutritional approach to heart disease when I was still in medical school. And of course, I was at Columbia. It's a wonderful medical school. Um, there's no doubt that uh, the training that, that we get at these top medical schools is, is just, just so important when we're facing an emergency, a critical situation like organ failure, the heart or the kidneys, whatever. Um, But I sort of early on, even in medical school, took an interest in why we get sick, why we get chronic disease. And chronic disease is something that, you know, comes on uh, over a period of time. Uh, That's the the definition of the word chronic. Mm -hmm. uh, I began exploring even in those years, that was the late 60s. um, I remember there was a book I was uh, looking at, uh, Vitamin E and Your Heart by the Uh, by uh, some medical doctor brothers from Canada. And it just opened me up to the idea that we could really, we could really make a difference if we could understand the cause of chronic disease. And so um, I I was originally planning to be a 
a heart, um, an eye surgeon. They have a great eye institute at Columbia. But um, after uh, my third year of medical school, I had the the opportunity to have as a medical preceptor, a kind of mentor um, of our little group of seven or eight third year medical students. And he uh, further kind of opened my mind to a more holistic uh, worldview. Um, he was a specialist in rheumatoid arthritis, but uh, he was convinced and he had research to support the and his clinical experience working with patients over the years was that uh, a lot of the um, uh, exacerbations of the arthritis were related to emotional factors. And so, again, that kind of uh, really made me change my career path from eye surgery to, uh, to holistic medicine, what we now refer to as integrative medicine. Oh, that's great. That's a great story, because I think it's so important that our medical field really open up to the more holistic approach, because obviously, Traditional medicine doesn't solve everything. We know that. So, so that's wonderful. So, obviously, you got into this integrative approach. So, what caused you to focus then on ending destructive habits and addictions? How did you get into that? Well, actually, um, the bridge was was really um, through my clinical experience, my work with patients in New York and then in Colorado. I mean, it became so clear that. Uh, uh, the driver of chronic disease. Um, it's primarily a matter of the food supply and kind of the, the way the food's processed and refined. It's also a matter of uh, environmental toxins that we might be exposed to. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I also began to realize that stress was a key factor, perhaps even the most important factor in driving uh, chronic disease. And, and now we have the science. I mean, that was back decades ago. But now we have the science that actually confirms that the driver of uh, chronic disease is a low-grade uh, ongoing inflammation at the cellular level. And that this is, this is largely the, uh, the, the primary cause of virtually all chronic disease. There's no there's no disease you can name that isn't related to inflammation and autoimmune illnesses, cancer. I mean, it just goes on. Heart disease, certainly, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, all of it is now being linked to this kind of ongoing, not acute. Acute means sort of sudden, like if you sprain an ankle or bruise an elbow. Right. Um, this is a low-grade chronic kind of uh, inflammatory response of the body to injury. And uh, as I kind of worked with people and did more research on it, I became convinced and also my own inclination was that I wanted to focus on the stress piece of that. And, uh, and from stress, uh, I had more and more experience with, um, with dealing with people's, with people's uh, unwanted and destructive and unhealthy habits and then I began working with uh, St. Matthew's House in, uh, in Naples, Florida. It's a wonderful nonprofit uh, drug and rehabilitation center. And I just took everything I had learned in, in holistic medicine and stress management and began to really focus on, on uh, how we can end uh, destructive habits and addictions. 
That's great. You know, when you talk about inflammation, do you subscribe to the concept that our, our thoughts, our feelings, our memories that impact us can be a stressful situation as well as external stresses that we find in, like you're saying, in society, pollution, all these different things, as well as possibly maybe no one has the emotional stresses, at least acutely, but there can be actually structural stresses in the physical body itself. Do you look at it that holistic way or how do you see that? Yeah, I see it very much the way you've just uh, articulated, Nancy. Uh, I absolutely um, believe that um, when it comes to stress, um, we have to look at deeper um, issues around, um, around uh, grievance, resentment, um, cellular memories about through the impact. We know that the mind-body is one system. Actually, I say it's the mind-body-spirit. Mm -hmm. It's one total system. And uh, we can't really um, kind of, we can separate things to understand them better conceptually. But in terms of the way they actually function um, in a human system, it's one integrated whole. And uh, we can't leave out the spiritual side of it either. Um, now we're beginning to kind of move, you know, as a, a medical culture, as a integrative medical and health professional community to embrace not only the uh, physical components of uh, inflammation, but we're moving more and more to recognizing, as you've said, the kind of psychological, the kind of mind-body impact. And uh, we're still not there in terms of, of the mainstream of uh, holistic thinking around the spirituality, but to some degree we see it happening. More and more they're talking about meditation and I'm talking about in the integrative medical community, they're talking about uh, uh, meditation, mindfulness, yoga, all these kind of mind-body and, and psychological approaches. Uh, but um, it does go deeper than that, and I, I look forward to being able to touch on that uh, through, you know, through this interview. Yes, and you know, from the spiritual perspective, which is where I come from with this podcast primarily, uh, we understand that really the spiritual is the source. And that comes forward, you know, everything's energy. And so we have energy flowing through our physical body from a higher source, a part of us that is, you know, a made in that image and likeness of the divine. And without that energy, when that's withdrawn from the physical form, we have death. So bottom line, we are in this physical world we have that free will to choose how we use this energy. And so that's a little bit from the spiritual perspective. But let's get in now, Bill, to uh, I'm really intrigued when you talk about the hidden solution for a no willpower approach to ending unwanted habits. And no doubt our listeners will be thrilled to hear about this too. So please tell us about this no willpower approach. Well, <clears throat> It's very important uh, to kind of understand uh, the anatomy of a, of a habit or addiction. Um, you know, traditionally speaking, uh, we have tended to I believe, and even within the uh, the greater, I could say, uh, psychological uh, healthcare 
uh, professional community, there's a pervading concept that in order to be able to uh, deal with uh, uh, an unwanted habit or addiction effectively, we have to get to the uh, deep psychological reasons that, uh, that uh, presumably are taking place within the individual that, that uh, have to be addressed, have to be uh, resolved before any, any success could occur in terms of, of ending the habit. And um, the fact I mean, is... Otherwise, it would be temporary, right? It could be just temporary. Well, that's the view of it. The view of it is we have to get to the root causes of why a particular person has formed this particular habit or addiction. Mm, right. Now, it's, it's going to be perhaps a bit controversial, but it comes out of the, the latest brain science, really, which is that um, this concept, this very prevalent concept, is not is not necessarily true. In fact, in most cases, it's not true that we have to delve deeply in order to be able to, to get to the cause of why a person formed a habit or an addiction and, and, and therefore help them to resolve those deep core issues. It makes ending a habit or addiction extremely complex. It makes it uh, extremely uh, you know, depending on um, how you're going to handle it, it could be extremely expensive. Um, it's a long, grueling process, and a lot of times um, it doesn't necessarily work. It doesn't really help. No, I, I, I agree. I can see that. People can go into therapy for years and years, and it's still yeah. not settled. So, yeah. so tell us then about this brain science that is kind of disproving this concept. Yeah. Well, the it gets back to this idea of, of the anatomy of a habit. Um, and that has to do with the fact that for whatever reason, um, a destructive habit formed in the first place, and, and there are, of course, deep psychological and spiritual causes that um, were that could be and often are responsible for the formation of a habit. Mm. Once the habit is formed, all we need to do is understand the structure of the habit and how to be able to handle the urge or the craving, which is responsible for the unwanted activity, which can be a physical activity. It can also, in the case of, let's say, um, uh, I mean, there are, there are unwanted um, psychological um, habits as well. I mean, if we have a habit of just thinking and seeing the world always from the point of view of the glass being half empty, I mean, that's a mental habit that can really kind of seriously interfere with the quality of our life. But yes, mm -hmm. but, but certainly whether it's a, a, a thinking habit or a behavior habit, it's always proceed, once the habit's formed now, once the habit's formed, there's always, uh, before the, the, uh, the activity, mental or physical, there's an urge, there's a craving to do it, to, to pick up that cigarette, to have that drink, uh, to go on the internet and uh, to gamble or to uh, just go to the mall and spend the day shopping, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what the form is, 
is always preceded by an urge. Mm -hmm. So what can, you, what can you do when there's that urge other than struggle or resist with your willpower? Well, that's the typical thing. The idea is that you, you either, you know, kind of distract yourself, you, you learn about the triggers that presumably uh, triggered the urge, you uh, uh, maybe, um, you know, find some distractive activity that you can do, or you just fight it, you just white knuckle the urge. And, and um, well, it turns out that those methods really don't largely work. I mean, they work to a degree, but again, particularly willpower, it's exhausting. And uh, if you're not, you know, at the top of your game, when you try to resist the urge with willpower, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't easily, not easily successful. Yeah, you so, might not you might not win when you're not at the top of your game there. <laughs> right. Well, the thing is because with willpower we're kind of fighting ourselves. Right. Right. But we think we're fighting ourselves. See, now this is where um we we get into the kind of spiritual aspect of this. We think we're fighting ourselves. We think that there's a part of us that's saying um you need that cigarette, it's gonna make you feel better. But, but then there's another part of you that says, no, 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 you know, you know all about the health hazards of smoking and you have your grandchildren now, you don't wanna be showing that kind of example. So you, you, you feel within and you actually can just about hear uh, conflicting voices telling you to act on your habit or not act on your habit and you're kind of like, you feel like you're resisting part of yourself and that's why it's so exhausting. Well, the fact is that the science is now telling us that that urge is being generated not from truly a part of us, but just as a result of conditioning of the brain. Now, uh, you want me to kind of go into this in a little bit more detail or did you have something you wanted to say in relationship to this? I really would like you to talk about this brain science, like you're saying, that, that if there's something with the shift in our brain. Now we know from a spiritual perspective, the mind, you know, in, in many spiritual terms is far greater than just the physical brain, which is the actual outpicturing, you know, of, of right. our mind. And so I think it'd be good to hear about this brain science and again, the no willpower approach. So okay. I think let's do it. <laughs> okay, happy to do it. So, well, basically the brain, the brain is an unbelievable organ. I mean, it's true of every part of the body, you know, every part of the body, I, you know, I believe God created out of, out of love and the body, every part of it is just a miracle of creation. I mean, mm -hmm. even when you get down to the individual cell that makes up uh, every organ, every tissue in the body, every cell is a miracle. I mean, it's unbelievable what, what really is going on there. I mean, it just, I just, you know, it's hard for me to believe that people don't see that there's a, a God, supreme being, however you want to refer to it, who's, somehow behind all of this creativity, but certainly the brain is one of the most complex organs. And so uh, 
But what we can do from a practical point of view, because what we're trying to do here is we're trying to be able to clarify in very practical terms how we can end a destructive habit. And for that purpose, we don't necessarily have to become like really, really proficient in understanding every single part of the way that the brain works. We just need to grasp several key concepts. And one of them is that there's really kind of, we could say a kind of two, two brains. There's, there's the, the, the lower brain, there's the higher brain. Now, what is the lower brain? The lower brain is actually in the brainstem. It's connected with structures called the limbic system. It's very, in evolutionary terms, it's a very uh, primitive uh, brain, this, this, this lower brain. Um, actually, all, all animals have it. It's identified kind of almost being reptilian. Um, mm -hmm. It's concerned with one thing and one thing alone, and that's survival. The lower brain is responsible, um, again, through very complex structures and very complex uh, um, circuitry and neurobiochemistry. It's concerned with keeping us alive. It's concerned with, with the basic functions of the, of the body, the heartbeat, respiration. It's a thing that just keeps us alive. It's responsible for the sex urge for procreation, which of course is survival of the species, so to speak. Um, it's responsible for survival. And on that basis, it's always, it doesn't really have rationality. It's, it's very, it's almost like a, just kind of like a, like a biological machine that um, based on experience, it's always looking to keep, keep the system alive. So, one of the key things that the lower brain does is it looks for patterns. It looks for repetitive patterns and it, in a way, not truly rationally, but it kind of, it was created that if there's a pattern, uh, particularly if that pattern is associated with pleasure, then the lower brain kind of thinks, oh, this is, this is important. I need to repeat this. This, this activity needs to be repeated because somehow through the repetition, it, it uh, falsely, <laughs> and when it comes to unwanted habits, draws the conclusion that uh, this is good for us. This is, this is uh -huh. uh, our life depends on this. We, we, we really need to do this. So it's trying, uh, it's trying to protect even those patterns as a survival instinct. Exactly, mm -hmm. precisely right. Now, in addition to the lower brain, we have the higher brain. Um, the higher brain is where all of our um, higher consciousness, I believe where our connection to God, where our spiritual qualities reside. This is rationality, being able to make choice, judgments. This is where our conscience resides in the higher brain. So, mm -hmm. so we, we, we are able, if things are healthy and in balance, we're able to take a look at what the lower brain is telling us to do and rationally and based on conscientious common sense. And we, we are able to um, filter the signals from the lower brain and decide 
with a much higher consciousness, what do we actually want to do? And this is where our choice comes in. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's interesting as you talk, you're talking about the brain and we can even see by the way you're describing the lower and the higher parts of the brain that that's actually the integration of the physical and the spiritual right here in our brain. It's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty cool. And I love when you're talking about common sense because I had, it'd be interesting if you know anything about this because years ago I came across some doctor who was, I'm we're talking about in the 1800s, who they said healed by logic, by common sense. And actually, I, when you're talking about this higher brain now, I believe that probably was, you know, speaking to that part of us that actually could make a choice to do something different. And you're not just subject to your, your uh, nature, your lower nature. And I, I've never been able to find this doctor, but I've always believed th- that, yes, if you really look at some of the logic, um, just pure logic and common sense, that we can make great shifts. And I don't know, have you heard of this at all? Uh, apparently, he would have patients come in and they'd talk through all these things and be shifting perspectives and literally people would get would heal, heal themselves, basically. Wow, yeah, no, I, I'm not su- surprised to hear because I, I, it, makes, it makes sense to me. <laughs> yes. More and more that you can uh, uh, kind of use common sense, which kind of is what, what I believe kind of God put into us in the way <laughs> of being able to, like, but see, the thing is we have to be in balance in order for that common sense and conscientious uh, uh, sense to be able to, uh, to kind of be aware of it. Right, right. This this is where um, habits, once they're formed, well, we're still talking about the early stage here. For whatever reason that a person was drawn to do something, now they feel tremendously encumbered and burdened and in many ways kind of imprisoned. It can be, you know, an addiction of of such a nature that their life is just preoccupied with with dealing with it and they just feel their life is ruined and and uh, here someone's again i want to be respectful of the uh mental health professional community but you know many many people in that community are telling folks with addictions well we've got to get to the deep deep psychological reasons that may have led to the unwanted what becomes an unwanted behavior but um, the fact is, the, the hidden key, the hidden solution to ending it lies right there in the brain science, that there's two different parts of the brain, and that higher brain is higher in the, uh, in the skull, the lower brain is lower, lower in the brain stem, that, and the science now is confirming that there's two competing circuitry going on in the brain Mm. yeah two actual and we can do a lot of this now because we have the ability to do brain scanning you see we're able to actually be able to take um psychological and spiritual phenomena to a degree uh, and uh, particularly when it comes to psychological phenomena but also even spiritual for example gratitude and and forgiveness these register very high in terms of brain scans so we're able to 
uh, actually visualize through brain scanning and understand that there's two competing circuits, two competing circuits, one being generated from the lower brain, another being generated from the higher brain. And it's a matter of kind of who wins out. Now, right, I can see that. And this is tremendously exciting to hear you talk about this brain research and how it's literally proving the higher nature and then the, the physical human survival nature. And we don't have to function from the lower brain all the time. <laughs> and and I, what I'm hearing you say is sometimes like the habits, the lower brain is just sustaining these habits. And, um, but from a spiritual perspective, and part of what I teach too is there is that higher part of yourself, you know, you're, that is obviously is working through that higher level of the brain where you can choose something different. And we're not just subject to our nature like most animals uh, on the earth are. You know, they might be very intelligent and learn all these things, but basically they're still subject to their nature. And we actually have conscious awareness. We can say, I am, and we can put conditions after that and, and decree that we are something else. So yeah. it's very interesting. Well, you've touched on a very, very important part of the equation here because it's a matter of identity. You see, the signals that come from the lower brain or the higher brain, they can register um, as a, a feeling, as a voice, um, and the, the whole idea is that the, the lower brain, because it thinks it's important for survival, will want to have that pattern reinforced. Mm -hmm. so want to have that, that reinforced. So it generates a signal to, to, to do the unwanted habit, to continue with the, with the behavior that's, that's addictive and destructive and unhealthy and that you really don't want. But the, the way that it's communicated from the lower brain is through thoughts and feelings that you can identify with as being true, as being meaningful, as being significant, as being worthy of, of uh, uh, implementing. Because it comes within our consciousness, the lower <laughs> brain's impulses and signals come into our consciousness uh, in much the same way that, that the impulses from the higher brain come in. Right, right. And I see what you mean. Mm -hmm. So we think a part of us is telling us to do our habit, and another part of us is resisting and saying, no, you don't want to do that. And we think we're at war with ourselves. A part of us wants one thing, a part of us wants another. But it's not the, the, the signals from the lower brain. It's coming from, as I said, a biological machine. It's not it's not coming from, from a source of truth, a source of higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's like a machine to keep us alive, like like a like a a, a reptile. <laughs> right. It, it yeah. takes us into the physical and survival in the physical. Yeah. Exactly right. But we falsely identify with it and think it's a part of us. So this mm -hmm. is where we begin to interface with the spirituality. What who are we? 
Right. We're not our lower brain. Well, we're not our higher brain either. We're more than all of that. <laughs> of course, of course. But the but it it seems to connect to our body and through our brain through uh, that higher source. It's it's providing energy for everything, including the lower brain. But it's it's primarily connected through our spiritual nature through our higher brain. If there's one part of the brain that's more us than another, it's the higher brain. Again, we're not the higher brain, but we get our conscience, our rationality, our compassion. We get all of our spiritual qualities, all of our uh, unselfish love and, and devotion to goodness. All those things are being basically entering our consciousness through structures in the higher brain. Mm -hmm. brain strictly... Uh, Keep me alive. Keep me alive. Keep that heart breathing. Keep the, the species going. Um, and uh, but we falsely identify with the impulse, with the signal, even the voice of the lower brain. Right. And as a consequence, we feel we're fighting ourselves, and we've got to resist this part of ourselves. Well, how successful are we going to be in trying to resist what we falsely think is a part of ourselves? Right. So basically, you're talking about a shift in perspective um, when it comes to the brain and, and who we are. You know, I have to bring in, because I have studied and taught a lot about, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the Institute of Heart Math out in oh, California. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I, I did their program back in 1999. I was, uh, I'm licensed by Heart Math to actually do their uh, Oh, great. Yeah, I, I well, actually, yeah, I know a lot about heart math. That's great, Nancy. Yeah, and you, so you understand how they consider the heart as another brain, actually, that it is, uh, works in conjunction with the, the brain, that, that the heart has its own system. And, uh, and from a spiritual perspective, this is where the, the higher part of us, the God within, that we've been told that the kingdom of God is within us and that we're created in that image and likeness. Well, that part of us, that I am presence, that part that, that signifies that we have conscious awareness of who we are and a greater awareness of, of who we can be and such, all of that energy, when it is, descends to us, it comes to the heart first. That mm -hmm. is the actual... Um, receiving point and through meditation as you're saying when you meditate on that heart in that spiritual center that is how you can then move beyond just the physical and the survival nature and all of these things mm. so it's it's a great uh, and when you think about it you know the heart in the forming of the physical body that's that start that heartbeat starts that life as you know, as the, it's formed, and we can live without our brains, right? But you can't. Mm -hmm. Once that heart stops, that's it. <laughs> and so it's very interesting the relationship between the brain and the heart, and how it all works together. And one other thing about the spiritual side of the lower brain and this this impulse, and this is something that, you know, people, of course, probably don't think much about because they're not aware of such a thing. But when you have individuals who are highly, highly addicted, and they're really into a very difficult place, 
conscious-wise, spiritual-wise, while they're still living in this physical world. And they're, they're pretty much, you know, they can be in a state where they pretty much are not even aware or able to function with their higher brain or their higher consciousness because they are so uh, enveloped and so identified with this nature and this addiction. So if those individuals pass out of embodiment, sometimes they're not even aware enough to move on past the dimensions of the physical earth. And they literally go around looking for a way to keep feeding that addiction. And these disembodied spirits or entities, whatever, however you want to refer to them, literally can come to people who already have an addiction that maybe isn't quite you know, too serious, or maybe it is very serious. And they also attach spiritually, they are communicate, they relate to that lower brain. And so they can magnify this entire urge for the continuation of the addiction. So it's another aspect to look at how to understand, once again, like you're saying, that lower brain is not necessarily you. I mean, it's part of you, but it's not who you identify with. And so same way with these entities that can attach, they don't attach to your physical body, they attach to your aura, your energy field around the physical body. And it can be very difficult. And I, I'm just going to share one simple technique, since I'm bringing this up, <laughs> how to help yourself and a way that people can, if you're familiar with the aura, you know, you can use your own hands to literally move through your aura and shake off any kind of energy of that sort. And you just start at the top of your head and you go down and you can just shake, shake it off with your hands. You probably maybe have seen this done if you're on a spiritual search at all or path. Also, you can take a stainless steel knife and cut around your physical form and literally demagnetize energies around you that are really, truly are external to you. Yeah, well, I, I think that um, it comes down, one way that I've kind of conceptualized this to um, help people to understand is that it really comes, I think, one way of looking at it is it's a matter of power. Power, in other words, we have, let's say, for whatever reason, we find ourselves struggling with, a, with an unwanted habit or addiction. So then we want to be able to have the power to end it. Mm -hmm. Power to end it. Now, I, I kind of think of it in terms of three sources of power. One, one source is actually understanding the way that the brain is functioning, the, the higher and lower brain and the fact that there's competing signals. Another way of understanding it is another source of power is the, the psychological. In other words, we, we can understand um, that we are, we are human beings, spiritual beings. We are not these impulses from the lower brain. Our identity is, is of the highest magnitude we can think of ourselves that way. And by thinking of ourselves that way and um, learning how to be able to increase that, that belief, that power of that belief, we more and more come in alignment with 
with the highest source of power, our, our source, our origin, God. Mm, right. We, we, and so the combination of spiritual power, of psychological power, and even the power of understanding the way that the brain is functioning, this creates a no willpower approach because we're not, re we're not fighting ourselves. Yeah, you're not resisting something and fighting against it, which puts well, you in a polarity to that actual thing, actually. Exactly. In fact, the brain science is saying if we resist, now obviously we have to resist activities that could be dangerous to ourselves or others. We, we have to resist. But, but generally speaking, when it comes to dealing with an, a destructive habit, if we're resisting, if we're fighting it, we're actually putting attention on it, and that increases those right. negative circuits from the lower brain because exactly. our attention is there. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to resist it. We don't want to ignore it. Ignoring is another way of giving it power because we're sort of like seeing it as something real, something is true, something meaningful that we have to like really resist. The word that we want to understand is dismiss. We want to recognize that the that the urge it, it's just a feeling it's not it's not it's it's it has no power over us unless we give it that power exactly right. exactly right it's and so you don't you don't ignore your conditions whatever they are that you want to overcome but you like you're saying you focus on what you want to be and to create or be in your life but you have to deal with those conditions. But you're, what you're denying is not the condition, but the power it has over you. Right. And this is why, you know, in my, in my work with people, I mean, there is a group of people who they tell me their experience, that they had a serious addiction to alcohol, smoking. I mean, it goes on and on. Whatever the form that the habit is taking, they were caught up in it. And... Yet at a certain point, they were free of it. Like mm -hmm. often it might come from a doctor simply saying, your smoking is going to really kill you. And from hearing that, they've just, that's the end of it. And I often ask, or it can be, again, any kind of habit for that matter. It's like they just, they stop doing it. Uh, I asked them, well, did you have a, an urge after you determined to stop? They, well, yeah, I might, yeah. Um, and it all, it's very individual. Some people say, sure, there was still a lot of urges, but um, somehow I just never went back to, uh, to the habit. Others, um, uh, there weren't any urges at all. It's like, it, and right. so it tells us we do have the innate capability. We do have the innate power. It's how we connect with that power. And the more, right. for most of us, it isn't going to necessarily be maybe a spontaneous end we really do need to develop an understanding or insight as to the way the brain's functioning, the way that the mind is working in connection with the spirit and through a holistic and integrative approach, um, we, we, can, we, can, we find ourselves with the power to, to dismiss the urge. Now, what happens neurologically? If you dismiss the urge, you don't act on the, the habit. By not acting on the habit, that destructive neurocircuitry connections from the lower brain, they weaken. Mm -hmm. This is something called neuroplasticity. 
you know, neuroplasticity. It's telling us that the brain is very fluid. It's not like when I went to medical school in the late 60s and they told us, boy, if you lose brain cells, that's the end. They just don't ge regenerate. We now know that that's not true. We get new neuro, new nerve cells, neurogenesis. We get new neuro connections. And the concept is neuroplasticity. And the good news is that if we, if we don't act on the urge, and we don't necessarily have to be perfect with this too. See, that's another whole thing, the idea of, well, relapsing, you know. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. The point is that every moment we have, can have a fresh start. And if over time we dismiss the urge so that by dismissing it, we're not acting on it, we are simultaneously weakening that, that circuitry. And as a consequence, over time or suddenly or somewhere in between, <laughs> that's the end of the habit. Now, we still are faced with all of our life challenges, all of our issues, all the things that maybe we do want to delve deeply into the past to understand, but we not, we're not encumbered by the habit because there wasn't, there's no longer any urges. Right. Well, that's, the urge, that's there is no habit. So liberating, huh? <laughs> well, at least then people can get on with their lives and improve their life and, and right. um, think about what might have gone on in their earlier years, childhood, whatever circumstances they had, but they're not, they're not encumbered by the, by the habit. Right. Just like, as I say, it's just like, it's in the way. Let's get rid of the habit means we have to learn how to dismiss the urge. Right. And, um, so, yep. Very exciting. Very exciting. You know, as you're talking about the concept that, you know, we are spiritual beings and identifying with that and that just I, I have a one of my podcast lessons is talking about how sometimes we get programmed by our outer conditioning that we are sinners and it's like okay yeah we all make mistakes whatever but that's not the part of us that we identify with you know, we, so it reminds me of the same thing, shifting to identify with that part of you that was made in the image and likeness of God, rather than the fact of being a, a sinner or, you know, like you say, failing or, or whatever. We're experimenting. And if we do things where we consider sin, that doesn't mean you're a sinner forever and ever. And that's what you identify with. So it's very, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, yeah, when the I am, as you said, is just so powerful. So right. uh, I'm thinking of, for example, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, which by the way, I, I completely acknowledge the tremendous benefit that that organization has provided for countless people. Yes. Um, I, meet them I meet them every week. Uh, they attribute their, the end of their uh, alcohol uh, or drug use prob problem to um, to Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. The only thing is there are two aspects of it that, that I question. Um, and so while acknowledging the value of it, the idea that someone, for example, will say, I, I am an, an alcoholic, I am an alcoholic, as opposed to, as you're saying, you know, I, I've committed sin or I have a problem with drinking by 
um, it's very different than identifying yourself as an alcoholic. Yes. Uh, this, this is a concept which I understood very early on in dealing with the cause of chronic disease, stress, because people, I mean, long before I got interested in all of what we're talking about today, you know, people would identify themselves with their disease. You know, I am a diabetic. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, and I, I, ag I agree totally what you're saying about Alcoholics Anonymous, because that's, I know, you, you know, people who've gone through it, I've some distant family members, and tremendous results. But it's a shame that you would just consider the rest of your life identifying with that as if you always have to be it's always like they're right on, ready to get on to you again. <laughs> you know, in other words, I, yeah, I agree that you really need to shift your identity to understand you're not the addiction. Yeah, and um, that's why um, I'm not sure in the very early stages of AA, but certainly these days, um, it's even by the medical community, alcoholism is kind of considered a disease. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I am alcoholic. I am an alcoholic. That's the misidentification. We're, we're children of God, I think it's the way that right. our ultimate identity, you know. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, so, um, and uh, the idea that I have a disease that's incurable, um, uh, well, I mean, there's no disease that there hasn't been reported instances of curability. So, I mean, it, because we are really ultimately um, our true identity is children of God. I mean, can we take that in, not just as a concept, but can we really begin to realize? Yeah, to literally invoke that part of ourself that, that is divine and that we can bring it forth. And like those words, I am, what you put after it, you are, you are decreeing that your divine self is going to create that condition because we are creators. And that's the whole key here. We were given free will. We're given dominion over the earth, and the earth is also our physical bodies, our emotional, mental bodies. All of that is what we have dominion over. So mm -hmm. giving up our power by decreeing and saying, I am, whether it's an alcoholic or whatever, like you're saying, is literally putting that divine power that is part of us into motion to create that condition. So that's, that's an empowerful, a powerful concept to think about. And I've also worked with this concept of the power of decision. And I teach that because there's been so many people who do exactly what you were just talking about. They hear some kind of information or they hear some impetus that causes them to shift their perspective. And that's the end of their habit because they decide that's not in my best interest anymore. I'm not going to do it. And you think, well, wow, you know, but the power of decision, I've proved it over and over in my own life, not with addictions, because I haven't, I haven't had to deal with that. But with other things, when you just decide, okay, stake on the ground, this is it, this is the way it's going to be. And all of universe works to bring that to you. It's really quite amazing. And what, what we're talking about, what you're referring to now is kind of like what I call the, I, I have, the, when I teach people the program I've developed to be able to deal with this, I talk about a two-pronged approach. So we've, we've really kind of spoken a lot about the one approach, which has to do with decreasing the negative circuitry by coming to understand and therefore 
uh, increase our capability to dismiss the habit. That's to decrease mm -hmm. the negative circuitry. Right. Right. The other side of the equation is what we can do to increase the positive circuitry. Yes. And, you know, and so it's like a two-pronged approach. And one of the things I, I teach people is how to connect the urge with kind of like um, an alarm clock where the urge becomes, the urge for, to do something you don't want to do becomes like an alarm clock to wake you up to actually not get out of bed, but be able to turn your attention towards the truth. Or it might be turning your attention to God, or it might be, but something that actually supports the true reality of who you are. Right. Yeah, and call so, it whatever you call it, you know. Right, whatever you call it. And so the circuitry, which was negative and led to something destructive, now becomes the impetus. There's brain connections that form. Now, this part hasn't really been proven. This is, this is what I, I feel is happening based on the experience I've had, is that we can actually connect the negative circuitry with the impulse to think of ourselves and feel ourselves in a way that actually supports the healthy circuitry. So it's a two-pronged approach. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, Bill, tell me, is there anything that you would like to sum up that you would give as advice to your listeners here? And with all of this that we've shared, which is quite a bit and very exciting, what would be your final statement? It's to be really hopeful, really, really hopeful. Whatever, whatever person, whatever you might be dealing with, um, it might be the, the challenge of a destructive habit, addiction. It might be another form of uh, challenge where you're just constantly in feeling resentment, where you know, you're really just feeling grievance uh, that no matter what the, the challenge, whatever we might refer to it as a problem, that there's real hope that we can, by understanding the truth about the way things function, the way the system operates, the way the human being was created to, to live, that the more we understand the truth, the more the truth will set us free. That's just <laughs> what, what we have as an outstanding principle of, of connecting um, truth with freedom. And what we're looking for is freedom, freedom to be able to live our lives, freedom to be able to, to love and be loved, free to make a contribution, not, not to be encumbered with, to be enslaved in some cases with an unwanted habit. And can I mention to the audience if they'd like a free report about? Absolutely. I was going to say, that what is your gift that you have for them? Right. If, if you're interested in kind of reviewing of uh, what we've discussed today and really get some additional insight about it, uh, you can go to enddestructivehabits.com. It's all one word. It's enddestructivehabits with the S at the end, dot com. And they can uh, connect with you too through there? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. They, they, they certainly can. And uh, I look forward to being of help to, to anyone that feels what they've heard really could be an important step forward in them being able to achieve their, their happiness, well-being, and their freedom. Yeah. And I wanted to thank you, Nancy, for just the opportunity to be able to share this with your audience, with your listeners. And uh, I really do appreciate Oh Well, you are most welcome. And we are very blessed to have uh, this discussion and your expertise and your understanding. 
so, so good. And Dr. Bill Bergman, we thank you. So everybody, I will see you next week. And until then, keep an open mind, a generous heart, and a powerful spirit. Thank you for being with me today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, download, and comment. I'd love to hear from you, and your support is much appreciated. And don't forget, go to nancyshowalter.com to get your free electronic copy of my book, It's Okay to Be Rich, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Increased Wealth and Personal Mastery, endorsed by T. Harv Ecker. And my free mini course, How to Speak Your Success, The Shocking Truth of How Your Words Impact Achieving Your Goals. I'll see you next week.